Welcome to Health and Sisterhood Podcast, where we explore the mystery and wisdom of sister-to-sister relations and how through them we can build healthy relations and deepen relations with ourselves and others. We invite you to tune in and dive in with us through your own lens. Okay, welcome back to Held in Sisterhood Podcast. Today with our episode one of this cycle. And today we, Marlon and I, invite you to dive into the faces and the roots of sisterhood throughout the next half an hour or so we'll go through (laughs) genetic roots of what woman to woman connection means we'll look at the faces of sisterhood and the different energy that's involved uh, particularly to the social culture of sisterhood as a word and as a concept and uh, the gender identification all throughout this episode it's just important for us to invite you to come on this inquiry along with Marlena and I we are aware of our limitations as white women as women who have grown up in the west women who have not experienced other lives that women now today experience women of the past have experienced women who have shaped and shifted the word and the concept of sisterhood throughout history. So this will be an inquiry. Come and dive in with us. Also invite you to feel into what is sisterhood, what are our roots and his faces for you as we go through this conversation. Here we go. (laughs) We're back. Ah, Thank you for that lovely introduction. Where do we want to start? (laughs) I think it might be nice to maybe start with a little bit like why we decided to create this specific um, episode today. Because as you all know, we are creating this series now, this um, season number two, with a very specific intention And for that intention, we wanted to actually share a bit more about the information, about the knowledge and the wisdom that is out there around sisterhood and clarifying the word sisterhood and how it actually has been born or how it's been growing, how it's been evolving throughout the years and throughout the different cultures and throughout the biological evolution. Yeah. Do we want to, what do we want to start with? Well, I would maybe love to do this, Marlena, um, as somewhat of like question and answer, Mm. uh, because what you've incredibly done and been deep diving into over the last couple of months is really Mm. into the biology. When we think of the power of sister to sister connections, what is it that maybe of a surprise, maybe something new that we haven't really acknowledged in regards to, um, yeah, the biology, the neurobiology, wherever you want to take this. I'd love to hear. Yeah, I found found it fascinating because I naturally went into, we just had this intention, okay, we're going to investigate around sisterhood and I naturally went into the neurobiology because that's something that apparently interests me. (laughs) 
Um, and so what I found, there were like a couple of things that I found remarkable regarding when it comes to the word sisterhood and how that is rooted in the biology of the biological women. Um, and there are a couple of reasons why why that is so. And the, the first one being is that as women, we have, we, we are more likely to make use of a hormone that is called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the hormone that is also known as the cuddle hormone or the love hormone, the hug hormone. Um, and it's a hormone that creates a, lo- a big sense of safety and connection within ourselves. And as women, we have a higher, um, dose let's say of oxytocin within us already or we are more likely to feel a higher dose than for an instance biological men a because of the estrogen that we're having because estrogen and oxytocin they kind of collaborate the more estrogen there is the more oxytocin there can be the less estrogen there is the less oxytocin there can be and so i find this so fascinating because As I said, oxytocin is the hormone that makes you feel safe and secure. And so then when we look back at the evolution of the biological women, we started and still we are the caretakers of our babies, right? And so whenever we are, um, we used to be threatened, for instance, normally the men would go out hunting and they would be outside So whenever we were by ourselves in the group of women with our kids and there was a threat, we only had really two chances to to act in that moment. One was we're going to take care of our child, which is a sense of connection. And the other one is we're going to make sure that we have allies around you. So we're going to befriend others around us. Um, And I find that fascinating because for me in my background with stress and trauma work, um, I find the nervous system quite fascinating. And nowadays, what is more commonly known as our stress response is fight and flight. And so fight and flight is actually, uh, which I only found out now as I investigated, is actually, it's true for women too, but women, we also have another way of coping with stress with which is tending or caring for someone else and befriending others it's literally called tend and befriend there was a beautiful study that was made around 2000 around that about that um yeah and i that just really so beautifully proves how naturally as women we are we tend to open up towards others and because mostly men are out, were out hunting, that befriending was towards other women. So it's just, it's ingrained in us to be in togetherness. That's kind of like the point that I really found out throughout that investigation. Um, and there's so much more to say around this, like, but I kind of want to, I don't want to talk so much in one chunk and I just want to see if if you might have some questions there, Anna, or if you want to share something for that for now. Because <laughs> I can, honestly, I can keep on talking all the time. 
No, I think I think what comes up for me having you know taking a bit of a a step back, uh, though I have heard you speak to mm. this, right? We've had conversations about this. Is really how come how come we don't know about this? How come mm. we tend to see it through a lens and e- t- tend to see it through a lens? Maybe let's put it this way. What is what have you found? What do you? Yeah. What is your perspective on that? And then secondly, why do we tend to feel as women that we have only fight and fly? Mm, interesting. Well, yeah, I found that actually quite curious. I think that's the word that I would put to that because basically what I what I came to see and what you also afterwards in hindsight shared with me um, is that the studies that were taken around stress, just to go with this example of the tending and befriending because that is... Um, our base here and that was based on stress that study like how women react to stress through tending and befriending until 2000 basically all of the studies around stress and about stress were made with male participants the reason being was which I found very fascinating that us as women, we have a cycle and that cycle is unpredictable. And so that, yeah, in quotes, it's unpredictable. And so because of that, I mean, because it's science and science aims to reduce any any possible variables that could change it tries to have everything predictable unless other than one thing normally. And that's the thing of research. And so because as women, we were so different each moment in the cycle, science couldn't make any proper uh, conclusion because <laughs> it changes all the time. And so that's why all the studies there were made um, with men to reduce the factor of mistakes that were being made in the conclusion of course that led to a huge mistake (laughs) which was that half of the population wasn't seen in that and that was the reason why fight and flight still up until now is the dominant uh, reaction when we speak about stress so it's still the dominant fight flight and freeze those are the dominant reactions that we speak about whenever it comes to stress it and still up until now tending and befriending like I I've worked with stress and I've learned a lot around it but I haven't come across it in the way that I did now I've heard of it in the past but not in the sense of oh that's really an additional stress response it's not something that fits into the other stress response it could actually be an entirely there should be an entirely new like theory coming out of that meaning like I work a lot with the polyvagal curve and it just doesn't fit necessarily in there this tending and befriending doesn't fit in the ideas and the theories that we have up until now at least from what I uh, researched and I'm super happy if anybody listening to this actually knows, please let us know because I find that highly fascinating and I haven't found any satisfying 
bringing together of tending and befriending and fight and flight. Mm. I'd like to just add a resource uh, um, for those Mm. of you who are wanting to go deeper into this data bias, um, incredible book, uh, Invisible Woman, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. Incredible, because she goes into how um, overall the lack of data, the lack of women being part of all research in most cases, and this is not just women, this is also minorities, this is also anyone with disabilities that tend to be not within research groups. Um, The world is not designed for them. That a lot of um, medical medical, uh, design, I mean, overall design, a function of car seats, etc., you know, (laughs) body shapes. Um, (laughs) I recently had this, you know, potato peeler. I'm like, why does this potato peeler not fit into my hand? All right, because this hasn't been designed for my hand. Oh, that's fascinating. Or my size, my the size of my hand. Mm-hmm. Huh. Many things. I also have a wonderful, um, wonderful woman um, that I friend that works in this space, um, Manzi. Unconform is the name of her organization and she specifically works through how do we design for women with women mm. workshops etc and going to spaces okay but i've sidetracked <laughs> coming back <laughs> coming yeah. back to to what we've said i kind of want to smooth this into what is this element of one it feels like to me in my body and the moment that you had first spoke to me about this was I can feel it and I sense it, the tendering and the befriending. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I quite know that I also very strongly react in the fight and fly. Yeah. And I've understood from what you said that there is, it's not, it's not that, you know, that because I'm a woman, I don't yeah, no. respond in a fight or fly. Yeah. But is there other layers that we should be looking at that actually prompt this, that, that pull us towards um, more flight and fly? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, but first of all, yeah, you're totally right. We also do fight and fly as women, um, as mammal, basically. Um I think, I don't know if I can give you a proper answer to that question, other than that I'm pretty sure that when there is a, a child involved, we will be more likely to tend and befriend. That I'm pretty sure of, because that's just, and, and I'm, even so, that's the fascinating thing, right? Because when we have, when we bear kids and when we breastfeed our children, we Uh, produce more oxytocin within our body which means that we want to do that more oxytocin makes us feel great it is such a beautiful makes us feel safe and open and loving and grounded so our body is designed to feel that whenever we give birth 
that's why women forget the pain and just remember the beauty of it. Um, and that's why most of the women, and I'm not, I don't want to generalize because I also know that for some women it's not that, like that, but most women, they naturally are drawn to breastfeeding because of the oxytocin, because they have that rush of oxytocin then, and they find it's a beautiful experience and they, they want to do more of it. Again, I'm not generalizing. I know that there are other women out there that don't have that, um, But just in, in, to just look at that is fascinating because that means that the production of oxytocin is really linked more so when we have kids. And yeah, so that's the only thing that I can answer to that. So this is why I know whenever we, we are with kids, we would more likely to tend and befriend. And I don't know what your experience is, but I know for sure The older I get, <laughs> the more closer I come to the possibility of having my own kid, I am using more tending and befriending now than I used to when I was in my teenage years. I was more fighting and flying when I was a teenager. But that's my personal experience. But you know, it does bring up for me an inquiry here mm. without drawing conclusions, but an inquiry mm. of ex experiencing is is also, because I relate to what you just said, the tendering and befriending. And I know that also what has changed in my life is that I have woman-to-woman -woman connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which true. I did not. Uh, Interesting. As yeah. much in any ways prior to, right? And so I'm also kind of prompted to go into a questioning mm. of how do our woman-to-woman -woman connections, even prior to us having a child, yeah. stimulate the oxytocin in our body to then feel safe even to explore and be in a potentiality of breastfeeding, of being closer yeah. to our child in that way, right? Where the, that safety yeah. coming before, because it feels, it feels, not scientific information here, it feels <laughs> that it's it feels that you know without that connection without that safety that childbirth and bringing in a um a human being mm. that then you have to keep safe and produces that oxytocin can have very have have a very varied experience versus one where there are women yeah. around you and that's already there that's such a beautiful observation Like, really, I so agree. I share that observation, let's put it like that, or these experiences. The way how I could already see that could be um, not justified, explained, um, is that the more estrogen we have in our body, the more oxytocin we can produce. In our society nowadays and how we grew up, It is quite, the, and again, not scientifically proven. It's a hypothesis that we are elaborating here in a way. Um, but in society, we often say that we are more masculine driven, right? So we are more in action. We do more in the school systems or, which is funny. But yeah, like the how we work, how we... Um, how we behave, how we are always in the doing that is very masculine. 
And so I could imagine that the fact that we've been like this for years now would have reduced, in a way, the estrogen within our bodies, within our female bodies. And now as we're coming back to this more slow way of being, to being more in connection with the feminine, literally with other female bodies, I could imagine that that would have increased the estrogen within us again. So we would be more likely to feel more oxytocin and be more responsive and sensitive towards oxytocin. So that, that beautiful, like, like just bridges that for me in that Mm -hmm. question of, you know, how, how is it that some of us can be far more in the fight fly, even as we are in female, like biologically female bodies, there's this element of the social cultural element, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's what's, what's, what's there and where, where and how have we looked at sisterhood throughout history throughout different places where we've lived how we've experienced it and what are the different faces of it yeah can I add something before we jump Mm -hmm. into the faces which is I just want to say for a moment science is is just a not just science is a language science is for us as human beings to be able to communicate about certain things it will never be the truth in this it will always be science it's a language to support us in understanding each other and so i just wanted to point that out because when we talk about fight flight tending and befriending it doesn't mean that one is more likely less likely that we tend to be that one won't happen that one will happen it's not about that it's just to create a common language and to create understanding for ourselves, to get to know ourselves better. That, for me, is science. Science science for me, it's not the truth. It helps me to find my truth. It's a language that I can use to come closer to my own truth. And so I just wanted to share that so that everybody can listen to this, actually, to find your own truth in what we're saying and sharing. And now we can go into the faces. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, for that, Marlena. It also kind of breaks away or or dismantles the need to label that's good, that's bad. Yeah. When I'm in flight, that's bad. When I'm in befriending, that's good because that's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're both powerful, potent stress responses that we need. They're important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. so about the faces of sisterhood and in the social cultural context i'd mm. love for you to <laughs> prompt questions so that i can <laughs> that was totally unplanned that we are asking questions so i'm like oh okay let me think what question do i want to ask well i kind of want to ask first Because I actually, when you started talking about the faces, the first thing that I understood when Anna said that word the first time was the phases. No, it's about the faces. And so I would love to hear from your end why that word, the faces of sisterhood. How, How has that evolved into that word? 
You make, I think it's for me was my observation had been similarly to what you had seen in the science bias, right? The gap, meaning if we say that there's been phases of sisterhood, it's almost saying all of the sisterhood, all of the female bodies were experiencing sisterhood in this way at this point in time in history. Mm. And then, you know, 500 years later, they were experiencing it this way and et cetera, et cetera. And that's not really the case. Sisterhood has been experienced in different ways and has had many different faces dependent on or very much influenced by the social culture mm. of the place where females were living how they were growing up, what were the real relations and are the relations between the masculine and the feminine, the males and the females. I'm going to be really explicit <laughs> here when I say male and female. I mean the the physical, biological. biological body. And when I say masculine and feminine, I mean mm. energies. And we'll get into that. I won't go into defining those at this point in time. So the social and cultural relationships and and yet throughout history there has been many different faces and this was also and we're aware and that's why we brought this topic it is a very sensitive mm. word even sisterhood and what it is that it means to us as as i mentioned at the beginning to 30-plus-year-old females living in Europe, having grown up in middle-class families, etc., versus what it means for women who uh, live in the U.S. and are, are Black and have ancestors coming in from Africa who had been on slave ships, who have experienced sisterhood in the 70s in the U.S. where there was a very strong feminist movement that was ignoring and completely dismissing their needs and the way that they were being outcasted from society. And so there's just so many faces of sisterhood for me being polish i went down the route of of you know wanting to look at what did that look like in the history mm. of the slavic um slavic culture then finding out that you know poland has some um, elements of the celtic culture also deeply 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 rooted and celtic culture very much being around the equality of male and female both in the physical and in the spiritual energetic um, space so yeah maybe i just <laughs> i think that's beautiful yeah and what's what's standing out to me is really like what i remember when we started this research was the original intention was to kind of like find the root historically of sisterhood. Like when did sisterhood start? And I remember you saying, Malena, I just can't find it. It's like, <laughs> there's so many different corners in the world where sisterhood was kind of like happening simultaneously. And there's just no way to trace it back to one. 
And I guess that's also where this topic fits so beautifully into the biology part or as a bridge to that, because it simply is biological, end of the story, you know. And so as it's biologically ingrained, it kind of found its representation in the history, in the cultures. And I think it's beautiful that you, you, you've already started mentioning some of the faces, but I would love to hear, like, what were the faces that really stood out to you? One, one particularly, because it also connects to this kind of social cultural element yeah. and with the anthropological background there, you know, we tend to draw conclusions by observations that might not actually really be the full, the full truth truth in quotations um one is around red tents and mm. or red huts and, and moon tents and that element that had been part of faces of sisterhood women coming together during during their bleed coming together during different cycles of the moon coming together to embrace that point in time of their cycles across all different generations mm. and both it being an embrace for women who were coming in and starting their bleed as well as women who were deeply in their bleeding and women who were stepping out of the bleeding and that cyclicality incredibly being embedded within not only the woman but in the social element of let's say the tribe, let's say the community mm. that they were living within. And there has been misinterpretations of that because there had been elements of found, right, archaeologically, let's say that women were separate. There was a quick conclusion that we've made, particularly through a feminist movement, back in the 70s that it meant that women were being separated mm. that it was a it was something that was done by the males of that society that were separating the woman from them versus that actually really being something that in the context of women embracing their biological needs their biological cycles and also the energetic and spiritual elements of what happens when women come together, that space being there for them. Mm. And so the missing, and that's why it's, it is very, very sensitive element of the misinterpretations that we make. And in some ways, will we ever know mm. in full? We, we won't. We can, I feel like we can look back and find whatever inspires us and feels true to us and that we want to cultivate as women. Mm. I take from that and I, you know, I take from that also that we have this element of girls being separate from boys, for example, in our Western society part, I'm going to speak to, you know, the nineties and two thousands when I was growing up and in that being, okay, the girls play dolls and boys play cars and we already make that separation and one tends to then make discretion of what is better and what is worse mm. and there's always that fine line of where we say we come together as women because there's power and right. potency and beauty and embrace yeah. and at the same time we don't 
exclude yeah, ourselves and again create yeah separation we're coming together with the intention to connect not with the intention to separate that's really what i'm hearing from that and how i mean how fast when you were sharing about the the red hut and how women come together when when we bleed um I don't know. I just find it so fascinating because nowadays everything aims to hide the bleeding. And there, there is a space that is created for bleeding in, in the circle with women. I don't know. I just find this so significant in some way. To, and just feeling, just even inviting, um, you guys who are listening to this, just feel into your body for a moment. How would it feel to be in a circle of women as you're bleeding, to be taken care of? Because this red hut, it's not even just women sitting together, but they're taken care of in that moment. So just think about how would it feel to be supported as we're bleeding versus to hide and to separate when we are bleeding, which is what nowadays is more common. We can probably have another episode about this topic. We, we can, and I, I really truly hope that, that we do uh-huh. as they're in the bubble that I live in. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot more of embrace of young women coming into their first bleed and celebrating that and, and kind of... Um, really breaking down the stigma around that a lot more. Mm. However, what we are still stigmatizing and not embracing as much is the women who are stopping their bleed when they are going into menopause, when they continue to be part of that tent Mm. or that hut, when they continue to be the wise elderly woman who have embrace their cycle and this was such an aha moment and thank you to my friend monica who brought that in who's in her who's in her letting go of her bleed it also doesn't happen instantaneously right bringing in this element of wow i've embraced the cyclicality of nature the cyclicality of life the cyclicality across our bodies the ways that things form that they go Mm. through the phase of darkness and lightness and now i don't need to no longer experience it in my body because it's in my Mm. body it's already ingrained so what i'm hearing from this sisterhood is linked with the cycle there's no separation from that and what i'm also hearing and what i heard when we started when we spoke about this topic also prior to this recording was that there are different reasons why we seek sisterhood like there can be this as as we said before there can be this sense of connection and support and just celebrating the feminine essence in a way and there can also be a need for protection. And that was, I think, when whenever we speak about separation, we need to understand that that always is born in a protective mechanism. We never separate out of, out of a bad reason. It's always to protect somehow. Um, I don't know if you want to talk. I know that we're 
running out of time a little bit, but I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this, how, especially now, this protection is present in nowadays society. Or do you want me to reframe the question? <laughs> reframe the question. I see it here. I just, yeah. Yeah. So what I understood, maybe even just, just talking about it, is that um, there there has been, <laughs> and let me know if I'm wrong here because I might have misunderstood that, but there have, through through the way how society has been evolving with a focus on the male energy, so with patriarchy being mainly in place, there has been the need for women to come together as a sense of protection. But I might have misunderstood that. I, don't, I mean, it certainly isn't an, a misunderstanding. I do believe that you're on to... Um onto something here right that there's there is an element and i think this is the the fine line in sisterhood that also i i have definitely heard sisters speak to is like oh it's like a you know it's a club and you've separated yourself and it's just all the time with females and female fairies and whatnot i mean i don't know Right, like there's an association of just women coming together, mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, it being a ne necessary pull for us due to the mm. very overly yeah. dominating patriarchal systems, right? And I, and by when we say patriarchal system, right, we're not talking about pointing fingers at the males uh, not at all this isn't a blame this is a system that has for a too long of a time been the dominating mm -hmm. way of how we as all biological yeah bodies been functioning and yeah and <laughs> the other end what i hear from that is it's kind of like this the image that comes is the pendulum Right, it's like, okay, there has been this strong focus on patriarchy and the male energy. And now it's just out of a, partially out of a reaction, but also out of the necessity to come back into balance. It's just these spaces are needed to come in sisterhood. That's what I heard from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you just brought it to me, you know, there's this element of coming together as sister is in that care, tenderness, mm. be, be, befriending element um, so that we can enrich each other with, with our individual female essence, right? Individual female essence, not that we're all becoming the same also. Mm -hmm. that. Oh, and then coming that. back out. Yeah. And coming back out and, and and bringing that into the balance of the individual element, where and rather than the need to be like everybody, right? And and I think this is this brings up. And we did talk about this, you know, a few years ago. If some of you know the Lean In movement, mm. um, it was a, a movement um, led by the CFO of Facebook. Um, which highlighted women needing to come in more into the spaces of 
I want to call it the unhealthy masculine. Mm. That's the best that I can come up with right now of that dominance and need to be in those spaces. And the controversy that has started ever since then is, is one, is a perpetuation of that same energy. And here, energy, mm. right, in the way that we function in that goal-setting, goal-grabbing, right. um, like stripping down resources across, you know, Mother Nature yeah. and et cetera, versus it no longer matters whether I'm a male or a yeah. female. I think that so beautifully links into the last point, the gender identification. Because what I hear from that immediately is this, it's not equality doesn't mean that we're equal as, as biological men and biological women. It just means that we have an innate sense of worthiness. For me, at least, that's that. And of belonging and of knowing what it is that we bring to the earth in a way. Yeah, I don't know if you want to take it from, from here regarding the gender identification. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I always think that when there's, there's inequal when there's equality, there's always inequality. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as we're, we're finding the two, we're going to the two separate spectrums or right. what we want to align is, is what that beautiful image you just said with the pendulum, right? To come to that. Um, to that balance and and that whole gender identification element is the allowance of being mm. being different in the way that we are and that being male to female female to female male to male yeah and those interconnections allowing us to simply be ourselves and And this is like the, I think we cracked on this last time, Marlene, and we spoke of this, is like embracing our differences. Yeah. Yeah. I actually love what you said there, because whenever we think about I need to be equal, there's immediately a comparison to the other, right? And so that is what then creates that gap. But what we are actually intending, and that's what I'm hearing from you, through embracing the differences, that is when we actually, through allowing the differences to be there, through seeing that that is actually what, what creates the power in both the masculine and the feminine, the male and the female. Yeah, I think, I think it's so, I lost the beginning of the sentence right now, but I do think that it's important to understand that it's not, we are never going to be the same. It's not possible. And I'm, an example pops up in my head where recently I spoke, I shared about the women's circles that we are hosting here in my hometown. And I shared that with a man. I told him we are doing women's circles and how I was thinking about actually creating a women's circles for entrepreneurs because right now these women's circles are free for there is no limitation to regarding your job title or so. Um, and it was so interesting because the response of that man was immediately, oh, but I think it would be so great to have it all together and to be there in like together. And I'm like, Yeah, I get why that would be nice, but there is a difference to that. 
And the kind of intention that I'm setting with these circles is not necessarily the one that I'm seeking when there would be a mixed thing. And that doesn't mean that I'm separating or that doesn't mean that I am discriminating. It just means that I'm looking to the strength of the women, which is in togetherness. It is, there is a, and I've experienced that on my own, the more I've been in togetherness with women, the stronger I've become in everything, the more successful I've become too in my work. And whereas I do believe that for males, togetherness and support is super important, it's not as much of a, how do I say that? Um, it's just more so potent in, for women, the, the way how women increase their power through the togetherness. To me, it's been very obvious. But again, I'm, I'm getting a little bit hesitant here as like on how I'm expressing this. But I think it's, it came across more or less. You know, what comes is when we as women come together and, and are in togetherness, we embrace the power. And when men come together, they embrace their emotions. Mm. Because both of which mm. in the social, political, cultural spaces have been very much downplayed based on gender biases. Mm. Women have been taken away their power and men have been taken away the right to their emotions. And I've seen incredible brotherhood. I haven't experienced them, right? I've only seen the outcomes of the, like what comes out afterwards of being in a relationship with man who gets together in brotherhood. And his ability to then embrace and be in relationship with his emotions. Mm. And when we come, I feel when we have these unique spaces to be in togetherness with women, those who identify mm. as, as females, who are in female bodies, we have the possibility of coming into that power and more so, and I've seen this in myself, my, my relationships with sisters to sisters have had direct impact on my relationships across the board, mm -hmm. including immediate in my, with my partner, with my brothers, like it just is there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, you know, I, This podcast is about seeing the strength of sisterhood, right? Yeah. And igniting that for, yeah. for society and using this power for our highest good. And it is, of, it is not of our intention to compare one being better or worse than the other. That is like the ultimate thing. It's like embracing the differences, not creating separation, but seeing how the differences interconnect right. us and make up the big whole. Yeah, I, yeah that's beautifully said. That's so beautifully said. And I feel that in a way this podcast is, because we're not this podcast in, I mean, today's episode is slightly different because we're more talking about like the background and information and wisdom and knowledge that's out there. Um, but this podcast is kind of like the representation to make you guys see how how potent it is to be in sisterhood and how much that can affect every area of our lives. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Keep inquiring. Keep, yeah, seeking that, exploring it. Yeah. I feel that we're coming to an end with today's episode. We did want to give you, so we want to start with this episode now to end each episode, not just only with our ending ritual, which will happen in a moment, um, but also with like an inquiry or an affirmation that we want to give you. And for today, we thought we would love to know actually What are the beliefs around sisterhood that we've all been growing up with? Because I know that I've grown up with a lot of beliefs around sisterhood. Um, and I know that Anna did too because we've spoken about it massively already. <laughs> But we would love to hear from you. Like, what are the beliefs around sisterhood that you've grown up with? Mm. And if you... Don't bring it to us. You know, we invite you to bring it to another sister. Mm. Have a conversation and maybe see what unlocks and and opens up there and cracks open. Or just take a moment to notice it simply for yourself. Yeah. So I invite you all, unless you're driving right now, <laughs> to close your eyes. If you're driving, you can just pause for now and come back to this. Just make sure that you have space for yourself for a moment. <laughs> Um, I invite you to gently bring your gaze down or close your eyes. And just take a deep breath for a moment in through the nose, out through the mouth, and take a couple more deep breaths in and out like that. And breathing in fresh energy with each in-breath and relaxing your body a little bit more with each out-breath. And I invite you for a moment to just feel into your body after this conversation, after this episode that you've just heard. And just notice how your body feels. What your body feels and where it feels that. Just watching without judging. Maybe you notice an openness, curiosity. Maybe you feel expansive. Maybe you do feel contracted and resistant or skeptical. No matter what it is, it's all welcome. And for a moment, I invite you to contemplate on the word connection. Just inquire for a moment. Hmm. How do I know when I feel connected? 
Where do I feel that? And how does that feel? Is that soft or hard, warm or cold? Does it have a color? Does it have a shape? And just notice for a moment as you're contemplating on the word connection. Can you feel this right now? As you're just thinking about it. Just notice if it is here now. And focus on that for a moment. And as you focus on this sensation, I invite you to bring your hands together. Maintain the connection to the sense of connection. And start moving and rubbing your hands against one another. You can start slowly and then become faster. Noticing that sense of connection as you move. And by now, you can be rubbing your hands in a way that that creates heat. And whenever you feel that that heat is there, you can place your hands onto your eyes. And just take a deep breath here, still in connection, with a sense of connection. And take another deep breath here. And with a last, next and last out breath, I invite you to blink your eyes open as you have your hands still on your eyes. And notice that sense of connection. And in your own speed, I invite you to lift the hands. Still feeling the sense of connection within you. And with that, we say see you later, alligator. (laughs) Until the next time.